I'd like to begin today by telling you that the revolution has begun. It has begun. And now I'm not talking about how we use the word revolution today. Uh, in today's culture, the word revolution gets thrown around a lot. We have marketers and we have advertisers uh, who often use the word revolutionary to convince their listener that you got what they need. Take, for example, the Gillette razor. It's a revolutionary razor. The Gillette Venus swirl. I'm your Venus. I'm your fire, your desire. Something like that. And look what Gillette says about their own razor. They say Gillette Venus Swirl Women's Razor is designed with Gillette's revolutionary Flexi Ball. And five individual adjusting contour blades. The Venus Swirl helps capture what other razors may miss. It contours over curves for flawless beauty, long-lasting smoothness, and virtually no mishairs. You want to know what the revolution looks like. It's for you women, and it's the form of a flexi ball. It is here. It is here. It is an invention. It is a revolutionary invention. Or maybe when you hear the word revolutionary, maybe you think of a revolutionary invention, and there's no better place to find a revolutionary invention than to tune in Friday nights to CNBC and catch an episode of The Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank, has anyone ever seen this show? Does anyone love it as much as I watch it with Marin sometimes, my daughter, and she's like, I'm out. She says she copies what they say on the show. And one of the most revolutionary uh, inventions ever to be featured on there is an app that used to be newer. Now it's a little old. Maybe you've heard of this app. It's called Coffee Meets Bagel revolutionary. Yes, Coffee Meets Bagel. Um, I don't want to ask who has ever been on Coffee Meets Bagel, but I hear people get together. So anyway, here's what they say about this. This is what Moneywise says about it. Coffee Meets Bagel is a revolutionary. Am I doing something wrong here? Okay. No? Are you just engaging with me? Okay, cool. We can do that. Anyway, let me start my quote. (laughs) Coffee Meets Bagel is a revolutionary dating app. Rather than matching users with random people, (laughs) uh, it uses Facebook connections to match people who are already in similar social circles. Wow. Yeah, it it sounds like what? What does it sound like? Yeah, it sounds horrible. Yeah, okay. Yeah, how are people going to get together if we don't have coffee meets bagel? (laughs) I don't know. The perpetuation of the species continues. So anyway, the day... So uh, would-be daters only see those other users who have expressed interest in them. When date plans are made, the app sends coupons for local restaurants. That's from MoneyWise. Revolutionary. If we don't have this app, people won't get together. It's just not possible. Or is it? I don't know. Well, revolutionary, it's thrown around a lot. And today, I'm here to tell you that the revolution has actually already begun. And I want to talk to you about a real revolutionary. And the real Jesus was a real revolutionary. And over the past few weeks, we've been doing a series called The Real Jesus. Who is he? What did he say? What does he invite us into? And now a lot of you might not think that Jesus was a revolutionary. You may think of him as being gentle. And he like floats in the clouds with like a, like a, some sort of minstrel group. And he only hangs out with kids because kids are the only people who would be willing to hang out with such a guy. And I think we have some pictures of Jesus. And Jesus would play sports like football and (laughs) Jesus playing basketball. I think there's a good one in there. I really like like how he's playing hockey. 
Not like the hockey one. He's like, hey, slap shot. Um, yeah, and so, you know, maybe you picture Jesus all meek and mild, and he has a little lamb on his shoulders. And uh, you may think of him as totally detached from the world's problems. And today, we are going to look at a very different kind of Jesus. And today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' teachings that included something called the golden rule. And the golden rule, if you haven't heard it before, it can be found in Luke's gospel. It's this. It's do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, we've all heard that and we've all like heard that somewhere. Maybe we've heard it uh, in school. Teachers use it as a way to teach kids to be nice to each other. It's in our common vernacular. But if we're honest, we would say that it really doesn't sound all that revolutionary. It doesn't sound very radical. It actually sounds kind of nice. And if we were to look up the word nice in the dictionary, maybe we would find do to others as you would have them do unto you. But what we're going to see is that the golden rule, what Jesus was doing at this time was completely revolutionary. It wasn't nice at all. It was revolutionary. And if you had lived... At the time when Jesus was around in the first century, you would have heard about someone who wasn't afraid to step into human misery. You would have heard about someone who was constantly challenging the status quo. He didn't take things at face value. He was always in trouble with the authorities. He was always doing the wrong things at the wrong time. He was hanging out with the wrong sorts of people, the wrong crowd. He was labeled as a criminal, and eventually he's died as someone who was an enemy of the state. Nice guys don't die as enemies of the state. Jesus was a revolutionary. He was truly revolutionary. Now, here's the good news. I'd like to show you that each of you and myself are invited into this revolution. I'm going to give you an opportunity to join that revolution. So I call today's talk, Jesus the Revolutionary. Before we take a look at God's word and what the Bible says about Jesus being a revolutionary, I'd like to pray and welcome God's presence. Will you pray with me? God, we invite you to be here. You are calling people into your revolution to do something new, to do something exciting in this world, to be countercultural in a way that makes a real difference, God. I hope that you will begin to speak to people and help me to speak as I should. That you would call people to yourself, that you would make clear your intentions, what you're really doing in the world. That You would make that known to people today. Begin to speak to people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you have an app on your phone or a book that is in the shape of a Bible, you can turn to Luke 6. I'm going to be reading from there. And one of the things you'll need to know if you decide to join this revolution is this. It is a very different kind of revolution. And we're going to take a look at Jesus' teaching in Luke. And I want you to count up on your fingers and toes and in your head all the revolutionary things that Jesus says along the way. So looking at Luke 6, starting in verse 20, uh, you can follow along on the screen if you wish to. It says this, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger, for you will be. Blessed are you who hunger now, you will be. For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil 
because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening I say. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you. On one cheek, turn them to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked Uh, Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Amen. So it's a very different kind of revolution. And the first thing we see is that it's a reversal of what's true of the world. Now, right away, we see that Jesus is bringing a very different kind of revolution. This isn't the revolution of niceness, although we do get that here. This is a revolution of radical love. It is so different from the way the rest of the world works. It is different because Jesus says things like the first will be last. And he says that in weakness, we find strength. He says that leaders are actually people who serve. And he says, you've got to lose your life to gain your life. And he says that this revolution will do things like work towards the common good Of the society that we are in. So that there's no poor people living among us. And that his followers would be compelled to do things like take care of the poor. And the widow. And the orphan. And the single mother. And the immigrant. And the refugee. And Jesus is saying to us, his friends, he says, While everyone else in our city and in our country and in our world is looking the other way, God sees. And he says, the story isn't over and God is going to bring a great reversal of all the tragedy and tyranny that we have experienced as a people, as the human race. And he says, if you follow me, you get to participate in the great reversal, the great undoing of all the bad things that have been done. You get to participate with the king of the kingdom. And also... It's beyond just a radical reversal. It's different because Jesus says it treats your enemies as you would your, uh, as you would your friends. We see this in Luke 27, Luke 6, 27 and 28. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, one of the greatest revolutionaries of the 20th century is somebody by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. 
And uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he had this to say. He says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of enmity. Now, when Jesus arrived on the scene, it was a very tit-for-tat culture. I do to you what you do to me, an eye for an eye. If you do something, I will do something back to you. Revenge culture. And Jesus teaches something different, something entirely new that nobody would have ever expected. And it's totally unthinkable. Love your enemies? Are you serious? Do good to your enemies. Not just like go neutral with your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Imagine that. Imagine the worst person. You and me doing good things to the worst person. Imagine thinking of the worst person in your life. I know you don't keep those kinds of records. But in, in, the, in the event that one of you does, I'll speak directly to you. But for the rest of you, you can just kind of play along. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person and go ahead and do it. Think about the people that we are tempted to be nasty to, to withhold love or affection from and lavish generosity on them instead. That person in your office that is annoying. And everyone has that annoying person in their office. And if you don't have an annoying person in your office, you might be the annoying person. <laughs> So, if you think of the annoying person in your office, instead of doing what you would normally do, which is not include them, kind of box them out, make them look dumb in group meetings, what if you wrote a card and you lavishly praise them for their good qualities? What would that look like? That would be looking very different than what the rest of the world does. Or if you're married or you're dating someone, you're in the middle of a very heated argument with your partner and you think if you just say a few more key things, it'll totally change their mind and they'll go, oh, you're absolutely really, oh, you're absolutely right. But you're thinking, you're thinking it's going to work. The argument's going to come to an end. You're like, well, you just, well, let's just stop for a minute. And you go, hold on a second. And you take out your phone. You go, we can finish fighting, but I'm going to call 1-800-Flowers. I'm going to order you some flowers right in the middle of this argument. What if you did that? That would look and feel so different than what we do normally when we're coming at each other. Or the person who cuts you off in traffic, you speed up to them, you know the deal, you speed up to them and you, you have option one, it's one of your fingers. <laughs> or you take option two, you go, you blow them a kiss. And maybe you'll meet someone and then you don't need the revolutionary dating app, you never know. You don't know. What, but what I'm getting at here, I'm using silly examples to say that Jesus calls us to do the opposite of what we would usually do in terms of loving our enemies. And then some of these people I mentioned aren't enemies, but we do the opposite. In the heat of the moment, we push through and we say love is the answer through Jesus. So it's a great reversal. It treats our enemies as friends. And the third thing is that it takes place through self-sacrifice. Look with me in verse 29. It says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If so, give, so, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Whoa, do not demand it back. One of the incredible things about the revolution of Jesus 
is that it is completely counter to every other revolution. What happens in every other revolution? You pick up a sword, you pick up a gun, you strap a bomb to yourself, you order a tank from the tank store, and you climb inside it, and you close the hatch, and you march on the Capitol, and you overthrow it by force. And Jesus is very different because he didn't grab a sword. He didn't take up arms. He did not climb on top of a war horse and march his life into Jerusalem. He took a staff and he hopped on a donkey and he rode into Jerusalem and he offered himself up as a sacrifice for you and for me. And this self-sacrificial giving of himself is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's one of the things that makes Jesus unique and Jesus compelling. Rodney Stark, he is a historian. He's wrote a number of books about the history of Christianity. He wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity, and he studied the early centuries of Christianity. He was fascinated by this question. Why did the Christian faith be some small sect of Judaism in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? It was a small group of people. And how did it grow to become the official religion of the Roman Empire? And what he found in his studies was something remarkable. Consistently, for the first 400 years of Christianity, he, in the book, he describes heroic acts of Christians who did all these acts at the risk of losing their own lives. Like, for instance, um, there's an ancient town in Turkey, and there was, the plague showed up. Like, you know, like, you ever hear the plague? Uh, the plague showed up, and what would happen is all the wealthy people, the people that had money, the well-to-do, the elite, and all the doctors would gather up all their belongings, and they would gather up all their family, and they would get out. They would hop into some sort of I guess, a carriage or whatever, and they would go to the next time. We're like, we got to get out of here. We don't want to die from the plague. But the Christians, often among the poorest, some of them being slaves, would not leave this town. They would stay, and they would help those people in need. And they wouldn't just help their families. They would help others, random strangers. And many of them gave up their lives because they became sick and died. This is the heart of the Christian faith. And it is what you see around the world today. If you go to the most desperate places in our world, do you know what you're going to find there? You're going to find Christian doctors. You're going to find Christian nurses. You're going to find Christian missionaries who are serving the poor at the risk of losing their own lives. Following Jesus, in this revolution, it requires self-sacrifice. So, and last thing on this, uh, why is it a different revolution? It asks for the impossible. Look with me in verse 32. It says this. It says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who good, do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And what Jesus is saying here is that, hey, he's saying, if there's any doubt what I mean by revolution, I'm not talking about how you treat nice people. Because nice people get treated nice. 
I'm not talking about how you treat decent people because decent people get treated decently. And I'm not talking about good people. Good people get treated well. I'm not talking about what you do with your friends. I'm not talking about how you treat the people who already love you. I'm talking about how you treat the worst people. How you treat the mean people, the evil people, the way you would want to be treated. Now, if there are any doubts in your mind about whether or not you should join this revolution, you should probably have a little bit more doubts after what I just described to you. What I've given to you is a formula for messing up your life. And the truth is, if you follow Jesus, and this is true, I'm I'm speaking from experience here. If you follow Jesus, you will be asked and invited into doing all kinds of ridiculous things. So there's a good reason not to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it unless you really want to, because it's going to be ridiculous. You're going to be invited into things that don't make sense. You're going to, there's going to be things that will cost you. There's going to be things that will harm you. It's not all roses. There are going to be things that you're going to be asked to do that seem impossible. And you will think that it's not only impossible, but it's foolish. And it's foolish, but it's not only foolish, but it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm an American, and I don't want to be uncomfortable. So why join the revolution of Jesus? Why? Why should you do it? Well, I want to give you two reasons. Because it's God's big plan for the world. And because it's good for you. Um, This is the plan. You want to join up with what God's doing in the world? This is it. There's no plan B. This is what he's up to. You can go to every church uh, in the world. And you can try to see what they think about the Bible. And they're all going to say the same thing. That God's big plan for the world is a rescue mission. To reverse all the wrongs that have been done to the world. To bring healing to the world. And to bring about the good things that he intends. This is what's going to happen. The more God works with churches and with Christians or people that choose to follow Jesus, the more we're ushering in this different kind of revolution. This is what he's up to. So the question is, do you want to be a part of it? This is what he's up to. The second thing is that this is good for you. The revolution is good for you. I'll just take one of the concepts that Jesus teaches about. Forgiveness. Everett Worthington is a researcher that has done a lot of work in the area of forgiveness. He spent his entire career studying the positive effects of forgiveness. And this is what he found in some of his research. In one study in Hope College, people were asked to think about someone who had hurt them, who had offended them or mistreated them, and they were to think about this person. And while they were thinking about this person from the past or present offense, What he did is he monitored their blood pressure, their heart rate, their facial muscle tension, and their sweat gland activity. Uh, Has anyone here had their sweat gland activity monitored before? Well, Everett Thompson can hook you up. Everett Worthington, excuse me. Um, And what he found is that when people recalled a grudge, their blood pressure went up, their heart rate increased, and they sweated more. It increased their stress. It made them feel angry and sad and anxious and less in control. But then he also asked them to empathize and sympathize with their offenders and imagine forgiving them. And when they practiced forgiveness in the moment as he monitored them, the indicators moved downward and their stress levels returned back to normal. In another study of 1,500 Americans, 
there, there, people were asked to the degree that they celebrate or encourage forgiveness and practice forgiveness in their own life. And participants in this study reported on their physical and their mental health. Okay. And what researchers found is that older and middle-aged people forgave people more often than younger people in their 20s. And they experienced God's forgiveness a little bit more. Yay for the old people in the room. Don't know where you are. I just don't see age. But if you're old, hey, good for you. And if you're asking if I'm old, you might be old. All right. So, and okay. So anyway. And so what the more they found is that um, they found a significant relationship between uh, forgiving others and positive health. So people over the age of 45 who had forgiven others reported a greater satisfaction with their lives and they were less likely to report feelings of nervousness, restlessness, and sadness. There's actual positive physical effects to forgiveness, which is what Jesus is teaching about his revolution. And I'm not saying that you have to forgive and forget. And I'm not saying that if you forgive, all of your problems are going to go away, that you won't have PTSD. I'm not saying that like what that person or those people or that situation was, was like, okay, that it wasn't like it was wrong. What happened to you? I'm not saying any of that. And I'm not saying your life is going to be happily ever after, but I am saying that when people move towards forgiveness, we're moving towards health. So what is needed to join the revolution? If it's good for you, uh, if it's what God is up to, what is needed? There, I think there's two basic movements that are needed. I want to close with this. The first movement uh, is um, a movement of the heart. Now, if what Jesus proposed is a new way of being human, then the normal way we think about the golden rule is no longer adequate. Something has to change in us. The formula that we used to think might work looked like this. Your awesomeness plus being nice equals new human. But what we've just seen is that Jesus isn't teaching that at all. Jesus is offering a very different kind of formula, and it looks something like this. Death plus resurrection equals new human being. And this is where the idea of Jesus' revolution starts to look similar to other ideas we've heard about in terms of revolution. The Latin word revolutio, it actually means to turn around. In the Greek word, Jesus, uh, the Bible is written in Greek, they use the word metanoia, which means to turn around. And Jesus said, in in essence, he said, revolutio, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a total and complete turnaround. It begins with a change in our hearts. It doesn't start out there with everybody else. It starts inside with me. I am the problem. My heart needs to change. You are the problem. There's something in your heart that needs to be turned. And we need to invite somebody from the outside in to give us what we need for the revolution. And there's some of us who have come here today And who need to make an exchange with Jesus. There's someone who is sitting here today who is angry and hurt. And maybe you were even on your way to church today. You were pontificating. You were ruminating about how someone has offended you. How someone has hurt you. They've taken something from you. They've ripped you off. They left you alone. They abandoned you. 
Can someone like this be trusted? Someone that you trusted deeply. It could be a brother, a sister, a parent, a friend. It could be a business partner. And what Jesus says is when he says, Revolutio, turn around. He's looking to make an exchange with you. He's saying, what if you invited me into that place? What if you exchange this feeling, this feeling of betrayal and hurt? What if you exchange it with a feeling of freedom? What if we just didn't exchange? What if you gave me that bitterness? What if you gave me that hurt? What if you gave me that grudge and I gave you back freedom and peace and healing? What would you be open to that? That's the revolution of Jesus. There's someone here, probably someone here today. You're anxious and you're worried about money. You live in Los Angeles. You're probably worried about money. You feel insecure that you do not have enough. And over time, your anxiety has turned you inward to the point that you're no longer generous with people and you no longer think of people in need. And your heart is no longer moved. It's no longer warmed. When you see a person in need and maybe you feel judgmental or maybe you feel like angry at their predicament. And Jesus would like to make an exchange with you. He says, hey, wouldn't you prefer to be like me? Let me warm your heart. Take your insecurities and your worry and just give it to me. I'll just take it. I'll just take it. And instead, I'll give you something else. I will warm your heart. I will give you the big heart that you know that you want. And I know that in a room this size, there's probably someone here who's gone through life throwing your weight around. You think that everywhere that you go, you need to make your presence known. You need to show that you're the boss. You need to look out for number one. The only person that can take care of you is you and you look out for yourself. But you know that throwing your weight around, pushing your weight around, being the boss, pushing ahead has hurt others. And others have felt like you've buoyed them to get your way. It's created distance and hurt and pain between you and other people. And Jesus wants to make an exchange with you. He says, would you become meek? Would you become humble? Would you like to know gentleness? What you're doing is killing you. You and I both know it. Let's exchange that need to make something happen and allow me to make something happen in your life. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of trying to pull together for yourself? I offer this to you. Let's make an exchange. One thing we know about Jesus in exchanges, he doesn't force the exchange. He doesn't make you give up the thing. He doesn't say, you do this, you take, and you take my grace. You, just, you take my, you're going to be, ha, you're going to be gentle. And you're like, oh God, it's a heal. It's one of those kinds of churches. Boom. It's not. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He gives you the choice. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, that's the first movement. We need to change a heart. But it doesn't just stay in our hearts. It actually moves outward into our relationships. The revolution moves into our society. It is a movement of our hearts and society. You see, when Jesus comes into our hearts and we do business with him and we make an exchange where we exchange the things that we don't want for the things that he has for us, something changes in us. We begin to see the world differently and we begin to see people as Jesus sees people, we don't see people who are just messed up or broken or who have disappointed us. We just don't see the broken or the addicted or the poor. We don't just 
look at wildly successful and rich people the same way. We don't see addicts. We don't just see beautiful people. We don't see gay people or straight people or smart people or not so smart people. What we see is people as the way Jesus sees people with love and empathy. Regardless of all our identity markers, we begin to see them as he sees them. Why? How? Because he's already done something in us. He's already showed us that he sees us. And when he sees us, we changes us. We can't, we're like, this is different. I don't have to do it the way I was doing it. And now I don't have to see you with contempt or anger or suspicion or judgmentalness. It changes from the inside out. And when that happens, anything's possible. Anything is possible. Since the time of Jesus, people have doubted whether Jesus' words were applicable beyond our personal relationships and at the individual level. But there have been courageous people who have gone before us, who have dared to believe that Jesus' words were not, weren't naive, they weren't impractical, and they weren't impossible. If Jesus really was who he said he was, if he really was from God, then his words are true. His words are possible, and the, they're powerful enough to transform not just my life and your life, but they're powerful enough to transform societies, everybody. And today is the last day of Women's History Month. Yay, your month's almost up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We should be, every day should be Women's History Day. You know, um, I didn't want, I didn't mean to say that to undermine, but it was a great month, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Women's History Month. It's a great month. And what I wanted to say actually about this is that over the centuries, women have been compelled by Jesus, the revolutionary, to go out and to change societies. Not just men, but women, both of us, equally, in society, making changes. Not just for ourselves, but for the world. Has anyone ever heard of this name, Sojourner Truth? Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth was a slave. Was. Was a slave. And she was born into slavery in New York, but she escaped with her infant daughter to freedom in 1826. She had been terribly abused and beaten by her slave master. Her first love, Robert, when it was discovered that they were together, they saw the slave owners beat him to death after they were found together. She escaped these awful circumstances, she, and she ran to freedom. Later, she went to court to recover her son, who was sold into slavery in Alabama. And in 1828, she became the first woman the first black women to win such a case against white men and a white jury. And she gave herself the name Sojourner Truth in 1843 because she became convinced that God had called her to testify to the truth that was in her. It started in her and then it spilled out, everybody. There's nothing Sojourner Truth can do about it except let it spill out. And during the Civil War, Truth, she recruited black troops for the Union Army. And after that, she lobbied to secure grants from the government for those who had served in the army and those who were former slaves. And in Washington, she tried to force desegregation of streetcars by riding in white-only streetcars. And in 1872, she even tried to show up for a general election, but she was turned away because of her color. And she implored others to do the same. She did not take 
the world at face value. She stood up for the truth based on what God was doing in her. And she has this wonderful quote that says, Why don't some of you stir them up as though an old body like myself could do all the stirring? She calls to you. She calls to you women and she calls to you men. It's not just some special person. She's talking to you. And the reason she's talking to you is because God's talking through her to you from the grave. Saying that you, you can stand up for the truth. And through it, you can change the world. Friends, I'm here again to tell you that the revolution has begun. What are you going to do about it? Now, I believe that just as God called people from the past, in the past, God calls people today. And God may be calling you today. God may be doing something in you, and it could be that some of you are sitting here today, you're listening to me, you might not even know why you're here, and God may be calling you to join the radical revolution. A revolution of love for the sake of his world. And he might be calling some of you to change your career. He might be calling you into some kind of ministry. Others, he might be calling you to be radically generous with your money in a very specific way. I don't know what he's saying, but he might be, he might be talking. I think he's talking to some of you. And he might be calling you some of you, on some of you, to take the first step in that idea, that thing. You know it's a good thing. You've been sitting on it and everyone says it's a good thing, but you haven't stepped in it. And you know that once you do, and you're a little nervous about it, but once you do it, that it's going to radically change the world forever. And it's not going to happen unless you do it. Unless you respond to his call. So let me ask you the question, who will answer the call? Who will fight? Who's going to fight? And this isn't a call to violence. This fight is not a fight of violence. That's not the Jesus revolution. Jesus revolution is a fight without fists. It's a struggle without swords. And it's a battle without bullets. It is a fight with love. Absolute pure love that comes from above. It starts within us. It stirs us up. It transforms us. And then it spills out all over the world. Let me ask you a personal question. What is the thing inside of you that burns? What is the thing that burns in your heart? The thing that the world needs that nobody else is doing. I'd like to suggest to you that perhaps that is the spirit of God starting to speak to you. To call you. He's wooing you. He's inspiring you. He's inviting you to partner with his spirit and his power to bring the revolution above all other things to bring the revolution to your friends and your family and your tribe and your city and our world. But let me warn you that joining the Jesus revolution doesn't come without costs. It requires a conviction in our spine that we're going to do it, that something that only God can give us, something that comes from above, something that speaks to our bones. It talks to our very bones and it says no more. No more. No longer will I accept the status quo. We will not accept, as a church, we will not accept that homelessness is the status quo for people in Santa Monica. We will not accept that broken homes and broken marriages are our destiny and our future. No, we reject that. We will not accept that the person with the illness must stay sick. He will heal them. We will participate in seeing people healed. We refuse to believe those things. We say no more because we believe and we will fight for the king of the kingdom. 
Will you stand? Will you fight with me? Today, I, I, I just tell you, hey, I'm a guy up here talking. I'm going to get down. I'm going to be a guy. My name's Chris. Hi. Nice to meet you. And I'm here to tell you that I am positively and unequivocally committed to the revolution. And when I think about the revolution, I get excited. I really do. We are joining the millions of others, the millions of others, the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, whose stories and whose testimonies, they declare victory. They speak with both experience and they speak with conviction. And by the testimony of their lives, they speak from the grave and they say it is worth it. Every sacrifice Every giving of ourselves, every small kindness, every bit of generosity. The revolution was worth it because they got to see God's kingdom come and transform the world by using a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of leftovers, a bunch of average people. That's what God does. And when I look around this room, I see a whole army of people, of friends who are standing in defiance of the pain and the suffering of this world. Will you stand in defiance of all the things that have happened to this world? And you, I look at you and I say, you are free men and women, free men and women you are. Will, will you do with your freedom? Will you fight? Will you stand with me? And if you fight, you may be injured, you may be wounded, and you may die. And if you run from this fight, I understand it's a difficult fight. You may live for a little while, but each one of us has a set number of days. We will live and we all will die. What will you do with the time that you have been given? Because one day you will die. And when you are approaching your death, will you be willing to trade all that time, all that time of just doing whatever you wanted to do, running from this revolution to tell, would you be willing to trade all that for, to tell our enemies, to tell the evil powers of this world, to tell the suffering that we've experienced and others experienced, the suffering that God invites us to push back, tell the, all the evil forces in the world that have tried to hurt us for so long, they cannot take away what God is doing. We will tell them no more. And they may have had a few victories in the past, but the present and the future belong to Jesus. And and I declare freedom over us. That is the truth. They cannot take away what God is doing. Thank you. Who will go? Who will go? Who will bring the revolution of love? Is it you? Maybe you're standing already. I love you. I love you, Valia. You're already standing. She can't. She's like, uh, who's it you? Is it you? I'm speaking in the general direction here. Who is it? Who will join me? Who is with me? Will you join the revolutionary Jesus and bringing Jesus revolution? Will you do it? Who's with me? Who's with me?